0: This sermon was preached at University Park Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. For more information about UPBC, visit upbchouston.org. It's my privilege to open the Word to you this morning. And if you'll open your Bibles to Galatians 6, we want to consider the first five verses. And I want you to think about bearing loads and carrying burdens and as being really the call of the church. Hear God's word. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself and not in regard to another, for each one will bear his own load. This is God's word. May you write that word on our hearts. Well, there are some leaders in the church today that propose that people come to church and they want anonymity. That is, just leave me alone don't talk to me, just act like I'm not here. Uh, They want to get some kind of feeling from church, and so they they come to a service, maybe to massage some guilty conscience in their life uh, by attending worship, and they don't want to be bothered by other people's problems. I mean, they have enough problems of their own without becoming burdened by those of others. And I suppose if the church were... Merely in organization, dispensing goods, that attitude would be fine. I mean, when I go through a drive through line, I don't unburden my heart to the young lady that's taking my food order. You know, I, I just don't, there, there's no need to do that. And yet the church, uh, uh, though having organizational structure, is not an organization the way we think of organizations. The scripture doesn't call it that. It calls us a living body. We are an organism. There's something lively going on. And so we are this living organism comprised of fallen people redeemed by the bloody death of our Lord Jesus Christ, united under the banner of the cross, indwelled by this Holy Spirit who has brought us together so that we are fellow citizens of heaven. And yet we're still struggling with indwelling sin. Uh, We still face illnesses. We still face diseases. We experience tragedies. And we encounter the wide range of God's providences in our lives uh, that affect us when it comes to human suffering and need. And these realities affect everything concerning our relationship with one another. Uh, Over the years in the the churches where I've served, and where I'm—I'm uh, I'm, I'm a member now. Uh, my wife and I joined a church plant after we uh, retired from the the work in Memphis. And and over that time, I've been learning lessons about bearing one another's burdens. I, I mean, I didn't come to the world understanding that. I, I was self-centered, just like every baby that comes into the world. I wanted my way, and over time, the Spirit of God begins to work begins to teach me. And I've been journeying with brothers and sisters over the years as we've gone through various trials. We've suffered heartaches and uh, and we've suffered uh, struggles, uh, the kinds of things that belong in a fallen world until we wait that day of final redemption. Uh, We face sorrow together. We have grieved together. We have wept together. Uh, The all these things have knitted the fabric of our our fellowship much tighter and we join to help one another in some of those adverse situations. I I think of so many times where I've been able to rejoice with brothers and sisters and other times I cry with them. We pray together. We embrace one another in Christian love and in what I personally have learned about the body of Christ we're I have served and where I've walked is, has been increasing my love and my appreciation for those in the body, as well as my gratitude to the Lord for the privilege of being brought together with that particular body that I'm part of. And yet, do we pat ourselves on the back when uh, we have helped someone a little bit as though we have arrived? I mean, we, we know that's not the case. Instead, We must learn experientially more and more of what it is to walk in the Spirit, to live by the Spirit, by the Spirit put to death the deeds of the the flesh, which is what Paul addressed in Galatians chapter 5. And then Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. I mean, what is this love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Is it just so we really feel good about ourselves? Now, that fruit of the Spirit, if you'll notice, we talked about it some this weekend with the guys, that fruit of the Spirit is primarily relational. You Maybe you feel good about yourself because you have love, maybe you have some peace, maybe you have some joy, but when, when you begin to deal with the, the naughtier aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the gentleness, the self-control, all of that's relational. So what do you do with that? The Lord does not work that fruit, that character of Christ in us, uh, just so we can uh, feel great about ourselves, but rather, and this is what we see in this text, we must intensify living out the fruit of the Spirit, this character of true Christianity in relationship to one another in the body of Christ. And that happens with both the way we treat uh, each other and how we handle our own spiritual lives. Now, how does this work out practically in life? Well, Paul summarizes it in this text by bearing burdens and carrying loads. And he shows us that the Christian life can't be lived in anonymity. We can't live it in isolation from others. that That's why there was such a problem with uh, some of the monks in previous centuries that would go off and hide themselves from, from others. Uh, and, you know, there, there's a, a spiritual problem there. I remember being in Kiev many years ago, going into the church right in the heart of the, the city, and we went down into the bowels of the church, down in the ground where they, they had uh, catacombs, and, and there was a door, and supposedly there was a monk behind that door, and I couldn't see him. People would leave flowers and candles and different kind of gifts there. I thought, well, that's great. How are you going to serve somebody down here in this hole? We're called to bear one another's burdens. You remember the passage from Genesis 4-9 where Cain asked a very irresponsible question of the Lord. Am I my brother's keeper? And John Stott said, if a man is my brother, then I am his keeper. And yet, our culture fights against that. And it happens even in the church. We can just kind of bleed over. And so what we have to do is have an intentional sense of burden bearing and carrying load. So how do we do that? Well, I want us to consider it under two emphases in this text. And the first is this, embrace burden bearing as members of the body of Christ. Embrace burden-bearing as members of the body of Christ. And we see this in verses 1 and 2. I mean, whoever said it was easy to be part of a local church? Christ does not call us to a life of ease and pleasure, but he calls us to a life of service and sacrificial living. We are cross-bearers. Didn't he say, if you're going to follow me, that's what you've got to do? You've got to take up your cross and follow me. We are self-deniers as followers of Jesus Christ. And that's certainly foreign to our culture. And maybe it stretches us in a lot of different ways because we can sometimes fall prey to the same ideologies that we see in the world that just foster self-centeredness. I mean, that kind of ideology is natural to fallen people. But the Apostle Paul identifies two particular areas that we are living counterculturally. They demand our attention, our time, and our energies. Notice the first one see the body's spiritual health as your responsibility. See the body's spiritual health as your responsibility. We, we know from Hebrews 13 17, we're told uh, that those who are leading us in the local church, those elders leading us, Keep watch over your souls, for they will give an account. We know there is this special accounting before the Lord for teaching and training and shepherding and and discipling the body. Uh, And yet what we see here is that Paul identifies some measure of that responsibility belongs to each one of us in the church. We see this immediately right at the beginning of the text who uses the word brethren. Maybe your translation has brothers. I'm, I'm using New American Standard today. He, he's not just singling out the elders at this uh, point, but rather he's speaking to the whole church. And in this case, it was the the churches in what is known as the Galatian region, modern-day Turkey, ancient Asia Minor. And they had come under the influence of a group that uh, scholars call Judaizers. They were uh, legalists, Jewish legalists, he said, you know, Jesus did pretty well, but not well enough. We're going to help you out. We're going to make up what he was lacking in doing. And so they were literally jeopardizing their souls by this kind of legalism that was creeping in and this movement away from the sufficiency that is found in Christ. And so what does Paul do? He calls a whole church to be involved in the spiritual health of everyone else in the church. I mean, how are we brethren anyway? He's he's not talking about the fact, well, you all happen to be living in Galatia, so you're all brethren. No, Uh, we are brothers and sisters because we've been redeemed by that same bloody death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have been given new life by that same power of the risen Lord Jesus Christ, and we have been indwelled by that same Holy Spirit who unites us and baptizes us into the body of Christ. Uh, Yes, we are brothers and sisters by the new birth, which means we have responsibilities for each other. In in one of the churches where I I served for a long time, we covenanted together together in our church membership, and in that covenant, we declared that we would watch out for one another in brotherly love, that's, that's biblical. That's essentially what is being said here in Galatians. Now, we can assume, as we look around the room, that everyone is doing just fine spiritually, and so we're not personally needed to exhort, or encourage, or admonish, or correct, or put an arm around and pray for another brother or sister. But the certainty is all of us have the tendency to slip and slide and sometimes to fall into patterns of sin. It's built into our fallen DNA. It's the reality that we're living with. And it may be someone else today, but it may be you or me tomorrow that needs someone to come alongside and help us so that we get back on track in our spiritual lives. Consider how Paul teaches on this subject. Brethren, even, even, may not be happening, but if it's happening, even if anyone, that is anyone in the body, we're not talking about going down to the grocery store and picking someone out. He's talking about those you are in covenant with. Even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such one in a spirit of gentleness each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Note that he he warns about neglecting the spiritual condition of our brothers and sisters. You see, individualism, which is just uh, woven into the whole fabric of the American culture, uh, it's the, the fruit of the Enlightenment, and we have... Uh, eaten that fruit over and over, but that individualism it has so affected our society that sometimes it spills over into the church. And while we do have personal, individual responsibilities, and we'll see that uh, uh, in a moment in this text, we also have corporate responsibilities for the spiritual health of the whole church. I mean, th- the language Paul uses suggests that this brother uh, is caught in any trespass, so that is probably not someone that you're saying, well, here he goes again. He's always really doing some stupid things. That that, that doesn't seem to be the picture, but rather it may be someone that you're not expecting, uh, someone uh, that seemed to be doing pretty well spiritually, but now they fall into some pattern or trap of sin. And he says if he's caught in it, so there's no question that, He has a spiritual need due to a problem with sin. He's been caught. He's been trapped just like a wild animal is caught in a hunter's snare or or just like a soldier is overpowered by the enemy. So in other words, he says, you see that your brother in Christ, your fellow member of the body, your, your fellow heir of the eternal promises in the gospel has fallen into some kind of sin. And it may be an attitude of the heart that soured that brother or sister. It may be a spirit of pride. It may be a moral failure. It may be a failure in family uh, relationships. Uh, It it may be negligence in his church attendance. It may be temper that gets out of control. Paul doesn't limit it, which I think is fascinating. He just says, if he's caught in any trespass, You who are spiritual, restore him. In other words, if he's been sidestepping the law of God, if he's failing to walk in the spirit, then you and I have a responsibility to so keep our eyes out and help that brother or sister. Notice how he identifies the ones who are helping. He says, you who are spiritual, restore such one in a spirit of gentleness. You say, that gets me off the hook. I'm just not that spiritual. Uh, And so I can leave the job to the folks that are really spiritual. Well, if we follow that that kind of ideology, then we're bypassing the teaching in this epistle. I mean, think about what Paul has talked about in Galatians 5.16, walking by the Spirit rather than by the flesh. Galatians 5.18, being led by the Spirit rather than walking in legalism. Uh, Five twenty-two and in tw- and twenty-three, demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit. Verse twenty-four, putting to death the deeds of the flesh. Verse twenty-six, living by the Spirit. He's describing the normal pattern of the Christian life. Those who've been redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we're w- not walking like that, we either are unbelievers masquerading as Christians. Or we're a brother or sister that needs someone to come alongside of us and help us and encourage us and admonish us and hold us accountable. You know, we we think about what happens when a brother or sister is caught in some kind of trespass. Maybe somebody that's got a really bad temper and just shows up and you see it and you're, you're startled. Well... What do you do? Well, I'm going to call my neighbor. And say, Man, can you believe? Can you believe how he acted? Can you believe what she said? Is that what we do? That's that's not what Paul is saying. Uh, or I can't believe you did this. Just grab him and shake him and jerk. No, no, no. He doesn't say that. He said, "Restore such a one in her spirit of gentleness." Now, I love this word restore. It's, it's very vivid in my mind because it was used in the New Testament of mending fishing nets. Uh, when uh, right before my wife and I got married, I went out on a shrimp boat for a week in, uh, in the Gulf. We ended up right down at the uh, bottom of the Mississippi River off the coast. And, and these these guys were the real deal. They shrimped all the time, and so they let me go out with them. It's quite a learning experience uh, for me. Uh, but I remember the very first thing we did as we taxied, uh, or that's airplane talk, isn't it? Whatever it was, we uh, we took off in that shrimp boat uh, from the tip of Alabama, going to the tip of Louisiana, and and it was. Uh, You know, quite a few hours. I think it took us about 10 hours to get there. But the very first thing we did, they they had all these massive nets. And we went through them piece by piece by piece. And everywhere a shark had come in or some other creature had come in and torn a hole, we were mending those nets. They didn't say, ah, don't worry about it. Let's just chunk them over the side and we'll get some new nets. No, they didn't do that. They mended those nets. And that's exactly what he's saying. Let's don't chunk our brothers and sisters who've fallen into sin. Let's don't cast them aside. Let's restore them by the grace of God through the means that God has given to bring them back to spiritual health. So how do we go about this? Martin Luther's advice to a fellow pastor toward a brother that had lapsed into sin I think is so helpful. He said... Run unto him and reaching at your hand, raise him up again. Comfort him with sweet words and embrace him with motherly arms. The call here for a spirit of gentleness doesn't mean that we slide over the sin or we downplay the seriousness of it, but rather the work of restoration, as Timothy George has pointed out, should be done with sensitivity and consideration with no hint of self-righteous superiority. The reason for gentleness is twofold. First, this is a brother or sister for whom Christ died. This is a fellow member in the body of Christ, and so you must therefore treat them as Jesus Christ has graciously treated you. Our Lord was marked by gentle. One of the few things Jesus said about himself was this, I am gentle and humble of heart. I am gentle. And if we are to be like Jesus, we must be like that. And that's what Paul is saying. He's calling for us to show that same spirit of Christ toward our brothers and sisters. Second, he says, uh, he's showing that we might be the next one that falls into sin. It could happen to us. Looking to yourself, he says, so that you too will not be tempted. And it's interesting that the word for looking, we get our English word scope from this term. And so if you're scoping something out, you're really taking a look. Now, we would think about getting binoculars and we're looking or, or getting a telescope and we're, we're checking things out. It, it's sort of that picture. You're taking a good look at your own weaknesses. You're taking a good look at your own tendencies towards sin. and And you realize that if you do not care for the church's spiritual health, you're probably not going to care too seriously about your own. The church father, Augustine Bishop of Hippo, said, There is no sin which any man has done, but another man may do the same. And then Martin Luther added, We stand on slippery ground. Therefore, if we wax proud and confident, nothing is so easy as for us to fall. Now, what kind of posture must each of us take in fulfilling this command in the church? Well, it's not a call to pry into everyone's life. We're we're not snooping around trying to, to find something, but rather, as the text indicates, we're to notice one another. We're to so know each other that we know the tendencies in one another's lives and we're able to recognize that something something is amiss here. We're able to see when that brother or sister has been captured by sin. And then our responsibility is to apply the Word of God to their lives, to love them, to exhort them from Scripture, and to patiently pray for them and encourage them toward repentance and to do all that we can to restore them to fellowship. But unless you open your life to knowing others and sharing in their lives, you're going to be neglecting this command. It's going to be one of those stuff it back, cafeteria-style Christianity, I don't like that on the menu, I'm not going to pick it up. But when we do that, we sin against Christ. And we sin against the body of Christ. And so in this season of our lives that has been entrusted to us by the Lord so that we live life together in Christ, we must commit ourselves to deepening and intensifying relationships in the body so that we might help one another in our spiritual health. But he gives a second responsibility uh, in this this matter of embracing burden-bearing as members of the body, uh, body of Christ, and that is partner with one another in bearing each other's burdens. And so that the second aspect, what we see in verse 2, uh, has to do with recognizing if a brother or sister has some kind of need and we enter into that need with them. Bear one another's burdens, Paul writes, and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Now, it doesn't appear that he's speaking at this point with reference to sin, but rather he's dealing with the providences of God the way God has governed our lives and the situations that we face. Sometimes we go through trials. Sometimes we go through adversities. That doesn't cloak us in leprosy so that we're afraid, everybody's afraid to get near, but rather that is a call, a magnet for others in the body of Christ to rally around. Uh, the the uh, verb tense here is indicating uh, it, it, something that you are regularly doing. You're regularly bearing one another's burdens. Leanne Morris wrote, Paul is not counseling believers to perform an occasional helpful act, but to live their lives as helpful people, always ready to lift the burden from other people's shoulders. And And just as... Uh, we will be no help to restoring a fallen brother or sister if we've not gotten to know others personally. We certainly will not be ready to help them in burden bearing if we distance ourselves from the very ones that we're called to assist. I mean, do you notice other people's burdens? Do you get close enough to others? that That's our responsibility in the body. Um, since Kira and I joined a new church, we're having to learn a whole group of people. I I knew the same people for thirty five years, and now, now we 're in a church plant, and there's all these different people, and we're having to get to know them we're having to learn you know what's going on in their lives where what's the weightiness in their lives i was I was texting one of our pastors this morning about one of our families that's going through some struggles, just trying to find out, okay, how can I pray for them? how can I encourage them well th- this word for burdens implies a load that is too heavy for a person to carry by himself or herself. It's a different term than the one used in verse 5. We'll we'll look at that in a moment. But there's this important assumption in this command. We all have burdens. It's just part of life. We live in a fallen world. We are weak, needy people, and so we're going to have burdens. And uh, as John Stott points out, God's not God does not mean for us to carry these burdens alone. Now, if anyone seemed to have his act together, it had to be the Apostle Paul. I mean, what a guy! I mean, an amazing man spiritually, and yet this great apostle had the same need that we have for the body of Christ to help in in bearing burdens. Second Corinthians seven verses five and six, we find Paul explaining that he was filled with anxiety when he was in Macedonia. He wrote, our flesh had no rest, but we were afflicted on every side, conflicts without, fears within. He was burdened. This giant to whom Christ had appeared. And yet he was a burdened man. He was a needy man. Uh, and, And so, you know, we'd say, well, I mean, this is Paul. Didn't the Lord take care of him? Uh, Sure, the Lord cared for him. But in this case, as in so many cases, the Lord appointed someone in the body to help bear his burdens. And so Paul explains that God indeed did comfort him, but it came through a fellow believer bearing this burden. He said, but God, who comforts the depressed, comforted us by the coming of Titus. So who brought the comfort, God or Titus? God did through Titus in this case, just as he does through so many in the body of Christ. And so burden-bearing, Paul says, fulfills the law of Christ. And this, this is the only time that exact language is used in the New Testament. We do see Christ's law found in another epistle. But Luther said that the law of Christ is the law of love. Uh, Leanne Morris, Australian New Testament scholar, uh, added, we generally associate grace and forgiveness with Christ, but we must never forget that He demanded wholeheartedness. We're lacking uh, wholeheartedness of those who follow Him. In other words, we're lacking in our devotion to Christ when we're neglecting bearing one another's burdens. So where does this leave us in terms of actions? Well, twofold. On one hand, uh, there's the reminder that we are not to live self-sufficient lives, that uh, we are to see that the Lord has given us uh, to one another in the body of Christ so that we might share in the issues of life. If we're trying to go it alone, and sometimes I think that's how we're trying to live our lives, we're, we're very stubborn, we're very prideful, I speak from my own heart here, that we sin against the Lord by trying to be so self-sufficient. If we're unwilling to be involved in the body and to allow others to get close enough to us, then we're shorting ourselves of God's provision to help us through the adversities of life. But on the other hand, it's, it's another call to get to know those around you in the body of Christ more intimately. Open your life to others. Be sensitive to ongoing burdens in others' lives, that you might pray for them, that you might encourage them, that you might point them to Christ, and sometimes have something tangible to help them in these burdens. I I remember in a church that I served, we went through a period of about two to three years where there were three families that all lost sons, three of them. And the, the first one lived about three months. He was an absolutely beautiful old guy. And the, the other two lived about 30 minutes. And I remember Kara and I visiting with them, weeping with them, sitting in silence with them, putting our arms around them, listening to them, reading scripture probably, knowing me, probably taking a book here and there. I'm sure uh, that, that would be normal to the days following, you know, something to read. And it, and it was such a wait. And then in 2011, in uh, December of 2011, uh, our oldest son and his wife were expecting their first child, and we we're all excited, ready for this baby to be born right after Christmas. And the day... Uh, before my daughter-in-law's day to go in to deliver, she found out that the baby had some congenital issues. And so uh, we were at that hospital in Little Rock, Arkansas. The baby lived, beautiful little girl, looked like my son, um, lived for about 30 minutes. And those same people that I had been reaching out to and my wife had been reaching out to and others in the church had been reaching out to, those same people bore our burden and they wept with us and they stood at that graveside with us and they comforted us. That's what he's talking about. You see, Jesus bore our sins in his body on the cross and now those of us redeemed by him who've had those sins borne by Christ are enabled to bear one another's burdens in His body. And when we do that, we're fulfilling devotion to Christ. And so, we restore those who've been caught in sin, we bear one another's burdens as forgiven people, and and we do that when we help bear loads for one another as brothers and sisters. Now, the second consideration in this text is embrace personal responsibility toward the body of Christ. And so, one, we're embracing others and their burdens. Now, Paul flips it and says, you know, you have some responsibilities. So, uh, you know, what is this? Well, our, our, our greatest hindrance when it comes to restoring fallen brothers or, or bearing one another's burdens is the attitude of our hearts. Uh, th- that's why these next few verses uh, offer some needed correction I mean, uh, think about uh, what Paul describes here, and we see um, three aspects of this. First, he tells us to exercise right thinking. Uh, Verse 3 connects to verse 2. Verse 2, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Uh, What's Paul indicating by this kind of statement? Well, the one with the kind of attitude that he thinks he's really something more significant than others is not going to be ministering. And the reason that happens is because that believer has fallen into the trap of self-importance. They are believing the press reports about themselves. Everybody patting them on the back how great and how grand they are, they've forgotten the rock from which they've been hewn. They've forgotten their own sinfulness and neediness apart from Christ. And they've forgotten how the Lord pursued them in his kindness, in his compassion. They've forgotten that they had nothing to offer the Lord, just sin and rebellion, and yet he saved them. They developed a mindset of self-importance. And We certainly all fall into that from time to time. What Paul has in mind in the I think the language is, it shows this. He, he's showing this, it, when this becomes a settled attitude of heart, of personal importance and superiority, then we find ourselves in danger. And so he said, the one who thinks this, literally the one who seems in his thinking, the one who appears, in other words, even though it's contrary to reality, that person is believing something about himself or herself that's not really true. He or she seems to be more important than others. That's why they will not lift a finger to bear the burdens of a brother or sister. And with that attitude of self-importance, we can overlook that brother or sister because we think the world revolves around us. We can fall in that, can't we? The danger of our hearts. That's why we regularly need the gospel just working deeply in us and penetrating us. I mean, that kind of attitude, Paul saying, is the self-deception of vain glory. Here it is, as Timothy George puts it, the myth of self-sufficiency. And he said it's it's indicated, you see, the evidence of it, by neglecting the body of Christ due to self-importance. And he said. That's not a mark of bravery. That is a sign of pride. The attitude that Paul reproves was the same kind of attitude that was common among the the ancient Stoics of that day who extolled the idea of self-sufficiency as a virtue. Um, We, uh, I assume you guys have a church covenant. I'm guessing that. uh, We uh, at the church, we're members, read our church covenant uh, when we have our members meetings and we, we go through and read that, think about it, we did that as uh, when I was pastoring, we would we'd read the church covenant, and we would do that to remind ourselves of things that we could easily forget you know we 're all busy people we got lots of stuff going on. we have lots of things happening in our lives, and sometimes we can uh, we can forget about one another. And so I remember so often reading, we commit to, by the aid of the Holy Spirit, walk together in Christian love, to watch over one another in brotherly love, remember one another in prayer, aid one another in sickness and distress, be sympathetic in feeling and courteous in speech, slow to take offense, but always ready for reconciliation and to secure it without delay. You can't practice that kind of spirit and attitude if you live with a spirit of self-importance. The second thing, practice personal examination. Now, to keep us from falling into that, uh, Paul says we've got to examine ourselves. And so he he says in verse 4, but each one must examine his own work. And then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. J.B. Phillips in his New Testament modern English translates it like this, let every man learn to assist properly the value of his own work. And he can be, then be glad when he has done something worth doing without depending on the approval of others. The, the kind of self-examination called for is not some gnawing introspection where somehow or another you're, you're delving down into your inner being and you're trying to find every, uh, every piece of dirt that's lodged there. I mean, some promote that kind of teaching with the idea towards self-justification. That's not what we're instructed to do. Our justification is full and free in the Lord Jesus Christ. He has satisfied God forever and ever on our behalf in his death at the cross. Instead, this kind of examination means we're checking our motives. We're regularly checking our goals. We're checking our, our aims in what we do to see, uh, do we do what we do out of genuine Christian love? Do we do what we do for the glory of God? And that's, that's this examination. Literally, me, it means we're testing ourselves in the same way the ancients would test metals, to precious metals, to see if they were the real deal. We're testing ourselves to see, am I the real deal? when it comes to being a follower of Christ. We're not to examine ourselves in light of others. He, he says, don't do this. We'll have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, not in regard to another. John Calvin told his congregation, it often happens that we compare ourselves with others, and from the low opinion that we form of them, set a high price on ourselves. Well, the standard for examination is not a fallen comrade or the world around us. It's the law of Christ. It is His love. It is devotedness to Him. Doesn't this keep us in a healthy position? Instead of picking others apart, we take a good look at our own motives and our own actions, and we evaluate ourselves in light of Christ's call to devotion and faithful service. The purpose is not so that we really feel badly about ourselves, but rather it is to turn from our sin and give ourselves to restoring fallen brothers and sisters and bearing their burdens. And as we work on our spiritual condition and we work on our love for the body, we won't have time to have a superior attitude about ourselves. Again, Leon Morris comments, if we are concentrating on ironing out the imperfections in what we are doing, we are unlikely to be critical of what other people are accomplishing. And this leads us to the third way we embrace personal responsibilities, and that is demonstrate responsible individualism. Now, we, we're to be concerned for the corporate life, and yet we're still individuals, aren't we? And so we we got to have this proper balance of what it is to practice individualism. And so in in this case, verse 5, he says, for, he's connecting it all, for each one will bear his own load. Now, some people say, well, Paul, you told us to bear other people's burdens. Now you say, bear your own load. Can you not make your mind up? What's the difference? Well, that that word in verse 2 for burden is like a massive rock. Let's just bring it down a little bit more. Uh, Are you going to go move a piano by yourself? She's going to pick it up and grab it, chunk that baby in the back of a pickup truck. You're not going to do that. You've got to have some help, don't you? Uh, But it's different with a backpack. You know, you you throw your computer in, a notebook, and uh, a few pens and pencils, and a journal, and, you know, there it is. Well, that's the word he's using. Uh, As a matter of fact, J.B. Phillips translates it, for every man must shoulder his own pack. It's a smaller load. Uh, and, uh, you know, part of the question is, we have to ask, well, uh, what's in the backpack we're carrying? That's part of, part of what we're doing, this examination. What am I carrying in the backpack? I need to shoulder that. And so it's the responsibilities of our lives. It is our personal spiritual disciplines. And I'm, am I being faithful as one who seeks the Lord daily? Am I getting into the Word? Am I seeking the Lord in prayer? Am I availing myself of the means of grace God has given in the gathering of the body of Christ and partaking at the Lord's table together? Uh, am I engaging in sharing my faith and fellowshipping with brothers and sisters? Am I, is that part of my backpack? Uh, am I exercising my spiritual gifts? Am I fulfilling my place of service in the body of Christ? Am I contributing to the needs of the saints? Well, as a member of the body... Just as each part of the human body has a contribution to the rest of it, even so, this it, it, this load that he's speaking of, this load of responsibility and service, is one that no one else can bear quite like you. You you're not bearing the burden of your sins in this case. Christ has already done that and uh, in, in taken care of that at the cross. But you are responsible to give attention for your obedience to Christ and for your serving Him in the ways He's entrusted to you. So, in other words, Paul's exhorting us, we're not to be slackers in living the Christian life and in serving others. Because ultimately, each of us will bear our load before Christ in judgment. There is that... Awakening passage in 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And and so we want to grab that backpack. We want to shoulder that pack well with the responsibilities that Christ has entrusted to us because when that great day of accounting and reward takes place, we're standing there holding our own backpack, so to speak. That's why Paul gives this exhortation so that we don't take lightly the work of the gospel in us and our responsibilities to live in that gospel or the responsibilities that belong to us as members of the body of Christ. You see, brothers and sisters, Christ calls us to involvement with one another in the body. Uh, We are taking care of our spiritual lives so that we are able to help restore a brother or sister that's fallen into sin so that we can help bear a brother or sister's burdens. And this calls for devotedness to Christ and devotedness to his body. And it's the Lord who enables us to do this. And so if you look back and say, you know, this is too much. Yeah, it is. I agree with you. Everything I've talked about here is way too much. That's why the Lord doesn't leave us alone. He doesn't, He doesn't toss us out, do all this in your power and strength. No, this is where we're learning to live out the gospel. Christ in us, the hope of glory in us, working in us, working out of us, so that He gives us strength and grace and help, that we might bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ, that we might help a brother or sister this been trapped and fallen into some kind of sin and help to put our arms around them and bring them back by the grace of God. The Lord enables us. That's what it looked like to be part of the body of Christ. We can only do that if we know Christ and we're walking with Him. Let's pray together. If you do not know the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then I exhort you, and I encourage you to consider that Jesus died to save sinners. He died that we might be forgiven people, that we might be reconciled to God. And I encourage you to turn from your sin and turn to Christ. Believe in Him. Believe that He died for you, that He rose from the dead for you. If you are a follower of Christ, then you are not only to take care of your own load, you're not only to carry your backpack, but you have the responsibility to help others in the body of Christ. And I encourage you to do that. I I saw so much of that going on at the men's retreat. I was encouraged. May the Lord spread that widely in this body. Father, we pray for grace and help and strength to be obedient to what it looks like uh, to be burden bearers, to be those who care for one another in the body, to be those who are giving attention to our own spiritual lives so that we might be devoted to you in the way we serve others. We pray for your grace and help in that. In Jesus' name, amen.